Okay, good morning, happy new year, and welcome to the first episode of Catholics at Home podcast for 2021. I am Mag, and I hope you had a blessed Christmas and kicked off 2021 on a very good note. Now, that that video of those precious little children, well, they are from the Children's Choir from SIC St. Saint Ignatius Church in PJ and uh, the whole song is actually an original composition and it's about how the children felt about Christmas 2020. Now as always thank you for joining us on the show don't forget to like share and always be part of the discussion as well by typing in your comments or opinions in the comments section below but for 2021 I have a new requirement okay um, when it comes to your comments okay and it's actually really simple and it goes across the board as well it's actually just to be kind right with so much that's happening around us this day with a pandemic with everything happening all around the world i think the simplest way we can do something for someone is to simply be kind and for us here is to be kind with your comments as well now 2020 saw most of our year um having us sit at home under the several stages of the movement control order it could have been the mco it could have been the emco the cmco the rmco whichever it could have been it was caused by a pandemic, the COVID-19. And while the economy took a really bad hit during this time, the people itself, right, we all suffered the impact of the movement control order as well. Now, I know that we speak very openly about how it has affected us as adults, but, you know, there were consequences um, on the lockdowns, or off the lockdowns, on children as well. And we hardly ever spoke about the impact of the lockdowns on our children. And that's why to kick off 2021 bright and nice, we're going to be talking about our children. We want to shine a light on the impact of the lockdown on our children. Joining us today is Dr. Dr. Amar Singh, HSS. He is a senior consultant pediatrician with over 35 years of experience. He spent most of his years as a child advocate and has won awards for the work that he's done. Now, he also serves as the advisor for the National Early Childhood Intervention Council and the National Family Support Group for Children and People with special needs yeah so before we start discussing the topic of today or for today let me bring on my co-host the one and only father clarence davidas good morning father how are you today happy new year happy new year meg did you have a good holiday did you have a break yes i did <clears throat> much deserved one <laughs> with family what about you? Yes, immediate yes. family yeah that's nice holidays are never complete without the families that's for me at True. least so that's why during the whole movement control order i was miserable because having to stay away from my parents whoa that's so painful but how was your holidays father oh it was, it was different christmas was very different this year uh for, for everyone not just for for us as priests i mean yeah. i mean on a time when you know you would have the two three you know christmas eve masses and then Christmas Day, and then before you recover, that is New Year's Eve, and then New Year's Day. But this year was rather quiet, you know, quiet uh, in in many ways, I guess. Um, not that we have nothing to do, but you know, it also kind of makes you take a step back and and relook at things uh, in a in a broader perspective. 
sometimes when you are in, in, in the hive of things, when you're doing things, uh, and I always say this, you know, you know, whenever I celebrate during Holy Week, uh, when it's back to back, it's Holy Thursday, Good Friday, you know, the, the significance of, of those moments, uh, for me at least, it, it doesn't hit until after the event because you're just so occupied doing different things. Correct. I think this you're still so immersed in everything, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you're making sure that the water is ready, the candle is ready, and this is ready. You know, it's the same for Christmas, trying to organize people because you have crowds of people coming in. Yeah. Uh, but this is it's about taking a step back and, and looking at things, looking at Christmas in a different way. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I think that was good. And, and like you, I mean, I got to spend a bit more time with my family. Usually Christmas Day is like, you know, ah, it's, it's crazy all over. I mean, like, you know, by the time I get home in the evening, it's like, I just want to go to bed already. I mean, I don't want to talk to anyone. Uh, so this year, Christmas was was better in the sense that, you know, a little bit of time, the family, dinner. That, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. I think for your family, they would have been very appreciative of that too. It's like, finally, he's got time to have dinner with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even if I'm having dinner, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm spaced out, you know, because I'm so tired, physically tired. Uh, you're physically you know, there, but you know, mentally, you're not yeah. really there. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of just stuffing food into your mouth, and uh, you know, okay, I, let me go. Let me go home. I want to go to bed. I want to go to bed. <laughs> so I totally it was, yeah. So it's it was it's nice. It was nice to you know just be with the immediate family. That's nice. That's nice. Now, Father, we're going to be talking about children this morning. So before we even bring on our guests, I'm just curious, when you came out with this topic, what, what did you want to bring across to our viewers? I think one of the things that, as you said earlier, Meg, I think rightfully, as adults, we are able to articulate, you know, to, help, to whoever, to a friend, to your spouse, uh, to, you know, to anyone, you are able to articulate the struggles. Well, some can, some can't. I always wondered with children, you know, you know, and because I mean, I just think of my own childhood. Uh, much of the fond memories is about interacting with other children, you know, uh, playing in the field and you know, and in the rain or sun, going to school in some ways, you know, not the studying part, but at least the playing part of it was quite exciting. So you know, but with this lockdown, with all this curtail, you know, they having to stay at home, and I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of not just you know. Uh, when you live in the city today, a lot of people live in, in closed environments. I mean, you live in, a, in an apartment. Uh, and that has, I, I guess that has an effect on children that they can't go out. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, I personally, as an adult, I, I don't see myself living in an apartment, like, you know, just around four walls and not being able to see anything out there. So it must have uh, something to, uh, I mean, an impact on children. So I thought maybe let's have this conversation and not just have the conversation, but what can we do about it? you know, mm -hmm. to help children. And I think that's that's the whole idea uh, behind this. What can we do? And, and not just call it out, but we know it. Let's do something about it. Absolutely. All right, brilliant. So I think it's about time we brought on our guest this morning. Let's have Dr. Dr. Amar Singh HSS as our our guest of honor on the show as we, we discuss the impact of the lockdown on our children. Welcome to the show, Doctor. How Hi. are you today? I'm fine. Hi, Meg and Father Clarence. And as I Hi, said earlier, morning. Mike, morning. Just call me Amar. I, I'm, I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, Amar, uh, you've worked with children for 35 years. Before we mm -hmm. even step into, you know, the whole topic, how has it been? You know, what do you love the most about work, working with children? I think children are great educators for adults. I think as adults, I consider us damaged individuals. We've lost a lot of the innocence and 
the, the beauty and simplicity of childhood. We've got trapped in many ways and children have been my second university in a sense, allowing me to relearn. I've been impressed with their courage, especially when they've had serious uh, chronic illnesses or been disabled. And uh, and I've, I've been, uh, you know, on the whole challenged by them to relook at how I live, to come back to a more simple, more meaningful place in life. They also speak the truth quite sim quite quickly. We tend to camouflage the truth quite a bit. Another nice word for lie, but you know, we, we tend to couch our words where children speak what's on their mind quite a bit. So I, I've enjoyed children very much. I enjoy also their unconditional love that they express to many of us. Wow. I've always I, I've always looked at pediatricians like a little bit of a magician, you know, because <laughs> as, as adults, you can I articulate agree. you can articulate what's happening to you. You can tell you there's a pain here with children. It's you know, it's uh, it's amazing that you are able to you know uh, to be able to diagnose, to be able to treat when they are they are not able to. So you're a bit of a magician to know these things. That's partly true, Father Clarence, but also with children, what you see is what you get. Whereas with adults, quite often it's a secondary gain. You know, I've got ache and a pain here when actually they don't really tell you what's their real problem. They just want an MC. That's right. We're all guilty of it. Yeah, children. Children. The moment they bounce back, they bounce back. You know, they don't want to carry on. Uh, there's no secondary gain generally with them. So uh, yeah, there is some difficulty with the very young ones uh, trying to figure out what's wrong. But I, I like the fact that they're, they're very quick to respond to care and, and, and recover. And so that's a lot of fun to work with them. Of course, there's pain as well in, uh, you know, in children who we can't rescue or who are chronically ill. Yes. Absolutely. That's brilliant. I, I, you must love it so much because, you know, doing it for 35 years and, you know, advocating for children, that shows your passion and your love for what you do. So thank you for doing that for all our children here. Now, this morning, we want to talk about the impact mm -hmm. on the lockdown. So we've all had our share of dealing with stresses during the lockdown. It could either be a mental, uh, mm -hmm. mental issue or our well-being financially. You know, but what about children? How has the lockdown impacted our children? I think as parents, we don't normally think about that part of things, isn't it? Yeah, I I'll maybe talk about this in two parts. Maybe the first part talk more the organic impact, and the second part talk more about the emotional uh, impact on children. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems we face, all of us face, is that. You know, I've been saying for many months, this is a marathon we're running, not a 100-meter sprint. But the problem with this marathon is that it doesn't seem to have an end. Yep. You know, we, we can't see an immediate finish. Uh, I don't know any, any anybody in the audience has, has run a marathon, but I ran one when I was young, 20, a 28-mile marathon. Wow. And it was very tough. The last couple of miles were phenomenally difficult, but we knew there was an end, you know, mm -hmm. so we could manage that marathon. So. I think this has taken a toll on all of society and all of adults. So adults have become less hopeful, you know, insecure about the future. Many people have lost jobs. We become, you know, hopelessness in a sense. Mm -hmm. And children listen to us and they've taken on board some of these things. But if I talk about the concrete impacts, I think the impacts are very different to different segments of society. All of society has been impacted, but some segments of society have been impacted more severely. If I take the one that worries me the most, the poor, and when I mean the poor, I mean, uh, you know, those who are in poverty or push into poverty. The Medeca Center suggests that 5 to 8% of the public has now been pushed into poverty in this last one year. There's also the issue of migrant workers who are poor and the issue of people in Sabah and indigenous individuals in our country who are poor. 
So if we take this whole bunch of poor, we're looking at collectively about 40% of our children living in this family. So that's about 4 million children, you know, 3.5 to 4 million children living in this poverty. And these people are looking at food security. I think many of those in the audience today won't be struggling so much with food security, but these people are looking at food security. I like the recent UNICEF study looking at inner city problems, uh, you know, that was done, I think, in October, September, October. And about 40% of people are struggling to know when their next meal is going to come. And I think so this is one impact. The impact on the poor, they've lost their jobs, uh, they've lost the support that they normally get from community. And so we're going to increase malnutrition in this group of children. At present, our malnutrition rates are about 8% in school. I'm sure they're going to go up. So that's one group that, that worries me and I would like to bring more support to them. The second one, I, I think all of us have been impacted is education. In a sense, children have gone on an education pause button, I call it. You know, we, we've lost school for many months. And in the, the effect of that is many children uh, not so interested in school anymore, not just education anymore. Again, from the UNICEF study, one in five children don't want to go back to school, which is worrisome to us long term. Uh, you know, some people say it's okay, you can do digital, but a large, almost a, uh, uh, you know, I think 800,000 uh, uh, sample size study by MOE, Ministry of, Education, Ministry of Education in May, showed that about 40% of children don't have a digital device. Yep. And so there's a segment of population who can't manage. Uh, only 15% of the only personal computer and, you know, the majority who the rest use the handphone, quite often probably their parents' handphones. So we may say study at home, but it doesn't work out for a sizable proportion of our population. So this freeze of children, leaving them at home and not in school, as Father Clarence talked very rightly about, loss of friendships, there's regression in ability, there's loss of interest in school, and we're going to have a major struggle to get them back and you have to relearn. It's not as though you can just pick up for where you stopped off. You probably have to maybe redo some parts of your education. And then there are many others. I, I worry of those children who are trapped at home. Child abuse is fairly common. Yeah. Uh, I would say at least 10, 15% of the entire population suffers sexual or physical abuse. And numbers have reduced this year because children are not able to report them. They're stuck at home where much of the abuse happens is, is intrafamilial, most of the abuse. So they can't go to school, they can't tell their friends, they can't tell their teachers. And so these children have no outlet, uh, you know. Some of us, okay, yeah, we've got four walls to struggle with, like Father Clarence said, but you know, at least it's not a bad four walls that we're in. But these children are, are children who have no respite from the abuse they are in. Uh, I, I could go on and maybe uh, say two more areas that perhaps I'll talk about. One is this collateral morbidity. Uh, I generally don't like this word collateral, but it's a useful word here. While we have very few children from, who die from COVID-19, and I thank God that it's mild in children, but when we look at uh, what's happening to the rest of children with illnesses, Many of them actually have difficulty now getting the care they had in the past. Our health services are swamped looking after COVID. Hospitals have become at-risk places. So people come later, children get uh, you know, a downgrade in their quality of their care. So a lot of children with chronic illnesses are going to get uh, you know, not the same quality of care that they used to get perhaps even a year ago. And finally, one that I am concerned about, uh, we've started dropping the number of children that that we give birth to. A lot of individuals have decided not to get married or not to have a child, which is perhaps a good decision at this time. But we've noticed that we already have a 6% drop in our total births. And 
I think in 2021, we're going to see a, a sizable drop on this. So that's going to be a generational gap. We're going to see a major drop, perhaps even 10, 15. Some people estimate 25% drop in births overall. And this is going to impact us long terms in terms of the services we provide, the education facilities, uh, employment uh, needs. So that is going to be something that we're going to face 20, 30 years down the road. So those are some of the major impacts. But could I say uh, to Mark and Father Clarence, I, I've shared two documents. Maybe there's a time to share with the audience. One document that I wrote recently is on all the impacts, not just the ones I mentioned, but others. And the second document talking about what we can do about it in terms of resilience of the family. And if Mark could share the links right now, people could download that and look at them at their leisure. Thank you. I think those uh, those documents will also be shared on our Facebook page. So for parents watching, uh, you can actually go and check it out later as well mm -hmm. if uh, we're not able to project it right now. In the meantime, if you are watching and you've joined us from wherever you may be, if you have a question for uh, Dr. Amar this morning regarding children and how to help your children during this whole lockdown, um, please you know feel free to comment in the comment section below and uh, we'll get right to that yeah in the meantime um Amar, I guess, you know, the the impact of the lockdown is grave indeed on our children, mm -hmm. isn't it? I mean, most of the time we only look at the fact that we don't have time for them, but there's so many different angles that we, we didn't even realize that was there, you know. And I think, um, especially when it comes to children who are raised in a very abusive family, that's going to be, wow, that's, I, I can't even imagine. So, yeah. yeah something for us to all consider. Now, for a lot of parents, you know, trying to figure out things between work and house, I think, you know, we're all guilty about overlooking our children and how this is affecting them. And I, th I think even when it comes to education, we just leave them, okay, you do your online classes or you do your lessons and I'll work kind of thing. You know, we don't even think about how much they're losing out on the fact that they're not, they've not been in school for about eight months. You know, so how can we, how can we notice, or what are the signs and symptoms that we can look out for in our children? Yeah, maybe I'll take a step back and and say that, you know, we've been never before. I think we've such an opportunity where we've all been thrown together for so long. Yeah. In a sense, it's a wonderful opportunity where we could get to know each other, as we talked about um, earlier about I think Clarence getting to know his family again and you, Mac, enjoying. Uh, how, how rich it is to get home and, and meet up with family. So we have that opportunity. But sadly, quite often, this closeness that we have creates friction. Uh, and, you know, the, the distress that parents are experiencing because of their struggles with COVID, partly their emotional struggles, but also their financial struggles that many parents are going through. So children tend to listen to us. I notice that children have a, a cleaner, a, a better listening spirit than we do. They, they hear more clearly. Adults, I think, always have got damaged spirits and you know they, we rationalize with the mind rather than listen with the spirit. So children take on board our fears. We may say everything is fine, don't worry, but our heart is saying something else. We should listen to our heart rather than to our words. So I, I, I think the impact is different for different ages. Let me take perhaps the youngest, the under fives. Mm -hmm. And in this age group, I think most children who are distressed right now will act out. They might have a bit more temper tantrums. They'll be more clingy. They want more attention from their parents. They're more fussy. That's the kind of 
things. And parents may say, you know, get irritated with them, but not recognize that these are signs that their children are sensing the disease in society and the family and, and showing it by their own behavior. Of course, there could be sleep problems and feeding problems uh, because children are, are, are not happy. And for some children, perhaps the, the slightly older ones, they might even bed wet when they have previously been dry before. When you go to the ones who are in the school, primary school or secondary school, then you probably see uh, more articulation of it. They might be more expressive in their anger and, you know, talk, say things to their parents that the parents might hurt their parents. They, of course, may have more mood swings, uh, you know, whereas the younger ones show it by their fussiness. The older ones might actually show it with actually um, anger or, or maybe depression or, or maybe isolation at times. And I, I think the important thing to look at any behavior change, especially a change in their relational behavior with you, if they isolate themselves or, or don't want to mix with the family, that's not a good sign. Uh, again, sleep problems are there and eating problems been recognized all over the world. Either not eating enough or eating too much, both are a problem. And lastly, for this group, perhaps this interest in school, you know, uh, a loss of that. All this is not just because of being closer with the family, but the whole loss of friendship in school that we talked about. For adolescents, I think there's additional elements besides the one for school going. And I, I, I believe of adolescents, you also should think about any suicide ideation that's going on in them, any uh, substance abuse that might happen, and anything that might suggest what in medical terms we call psychosomatic symptoms, uh, which means your body expresses symptoms of your disease, like you may have always be suffering headaches or tummy aches and stuff like that. Because in this group, I think they experience the insecurity almost as severely as the parents would. A lot of the adolescents that I've talked to have expressed fears about the future. The loss of the future is something that impacts them greatly. So basically all that I've described about these three groups of children are two features. One, which is the features of stress, and the second one, the features of depression. And so that's the features that we should look for in our children. Wow. I, I, I kind of wonder, sorry, yeah, as, as you were speaking, Amar, I mean, yes. uh, you know, we're talking about everything going online. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it from a perspective of, of an adult. You know, I, I spend a lot of time now, uh, you know, looking into a screen like this morning. I mean, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I find at the end of the day, like I'm kind of spaced out because of, you know, just this kind of, a, you know, online engagement. And I'm sure like children, you know, Okay, those who are able to, at least in urban areas who have got stable connections, I mean, they can do online classes. And, sure. and, and also realize that when parents are working from home, uh, the best babysitter would seem to be to put them something online to give them a, a gadget or, a, you know. So, you know, you see a sudden uh, uh, kind of a, a, the amount of time being spent on children uh, has, has kind of got tremendous. I mean, not just school, but you know, because you cannot engage with other children, you end up mm, playing mm. games on the computer or, or to keep you quiet, I guess you just give them, you know, please just go ahead and play whatever. You know, how, how does that impact, you know, the social skills of children in, in the long term, you know, mm. in terms of, you know, I, mean, I was talking to Mac, you know, one of the exciting things is going out to play with other mm. children. Yeah. And now it's so different. Uh, what, how, do you, how do you see that, I mean, in terms of, the impact on children. Uh, Father Clarence, I had a similar childhood from you. I grew up in a rural community. I 
television only entered my life at about six or seven, I remember. Even then, it was black and white, Lucille Ball, and we didn't watch it very much. You know, but, uh, you know, you play football in the, in the rain and you fly kites with your friends. That kind of things were my childhood. And I think they were very formative uh, for creating uh, relationships and friendships. I've done quite a few studies pre-COVID on screen time in children, and I am very concerned about this. Uh, one study I did in, on two-year-olds, uh, you know, where we asked for a 24-hour recall from parents about their children's screen time, and it was eight hours. So a two-year-old in Malaysia spent, that was a three, three four years of old study, spent eight hours a day on a screen, quite often unsupervised with internet access. Uh, so that's an eight-year-old, uh, three, four years ago. Today, fast forward, I think almost everybody is on the screen 24-7 except when they sleep kind of thing. And even then, their sleep is disrupted because we don't have a proper routine nowadays when we are at home. So uh, I think the screen is one of the worst babysitters you can even consider. I think it's a negative babysitter. I wouldn't even consider it an adequate babysitter. If your screen is talking to your grandma, that's different. I think that kind of FaceTime or, or chit-chat is a useful visit. And I, I recommend to some parents, you know, maybe, okay, grandma and grandpa can't be with you, but they could take turns to have a chat with the children you're in and find out what's happening and discuss something and, and maybe read a book to them. And that sort of thing can be done if you are, you know, uh, struggling at home with your work and, and not be with their children. But generally, I recommend that no screens. Except for the bare essentials, which is very difficult for parents. So screens generally negative impact on children. We want to bring them into their lives later, not early, definitely not in the first five years of life. Uh, and this is something that we have not grown as a community. And unfortunately, COVID has exacerbated this. Yeah. A lot of screen addiction that I work with with children uh, in my practice. You know, struggling adolescents who struggle not being able to put the phone or their PC off or down here, and that applies to us as well as adults, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we're so guilty yeah. of that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I have screen free days, I have two screen free days in the week, been Which there for a long time. Weekend, it? Uh, it used to be weekend when I was working, but now that I've retired, it's weekdays. So, I, you know, from the time I wake up about four plus until about lunch, you just ignore your screen. Uh, the best thing is to turn off your broadband so no messages can reach you. You know, just turn off your <laughs> internet access. You leave your phone on for emergency phone calls and then just live. And I usually I'm in nature. I enjoy birds and nature very much. I'm a bird watcher. So I, I just end up in the forest or go for a walk. And I find that so refreshing. Come back and yeah. then just pick up all the messages. There's no, no worry. And half of them are not worth anything. <laughs> that's a perfect way to distress i think um mm -hmm. but i think you know living in ipo that's really possible <laughs> <laughs> okay so we have a question that's actually on our comment section coming from timothy chan um he says dear dr amar may i ask the following questions how do we help children especially those above 10 years old to open up and articulate their feelings and what are the impacts of prolonged exposure to digital devices I I think um, we're all very worried about the long-term effects, you know, when it comes to our children, because like you said, like most of us kind of, you know, tend to use the screens as a babysitter, not the best, yes. but some parents really don't have a choice. So yeah, I've been there before. So Maybe I'll take a step back and suggest what our guidelines are these days so that younger parents can start on this rather than, you know, we try to fix problems later. But our guidelines are under two, there are no screens in their life at all. They never see a TV, they never use a handphone, except maybe to chat with grandma. 
between two and five, one hour is the max that they use screen. And that's with parents sitting beside them, parental supervision. And you do something that's educational and fun, you know, maybe Sesame Street or something like that. Uh, from five to about 12, we give them more access, maybe two, three hours a day. And uh, we give them some guidelines, help them understand how to use the online uh, thing. And then after 12, we give them a lot of freedom. We want them to police their own uh, screen and use their screen wisely and know how to handle social media and online predators and stuff like that. So those are kind of like the stepwise guidance with the children, which means that parents actually don't use their screens a lot around their children either if you if you go to have younger children. Now, coming back to the long-term effects, I think I've got lots of data on that. And I think the long-term effects are largely effects on sleep, uh, because a lot of people use their screens until late. Effects on uh, eating, a lot of people have problems, either overweight or underweight, both happen. Effects on insecurity, a lot of bullying goes on online, and a lot of negativity goes on online, and children very susceptible to this. Uh, there's also impact uh, on your long-term education. But I think the biggest impact is on your emotional state. And a lot of people spend enormous time on, on online are not as emotionally secure as people who don't. Now, I'd like to come back to the second question. Is it possible to flash that question again, please, Mark? Yes, okay. Yeah, how to help children above 10 open up, articulate their feelings? Yeah, that's a really wonderful question, Timothy. And that's actually maybe a couple of hours chit-chat. I wish we could have a cup of coffee or tea and, and talk about that. Adolescents are a very different kind of category from younger children. Younger children tend to be a bit more spontaneous. First of all, I must say that children are very diverse with different personalities. So what I say may not apply to every child. We need to know our children very well. That's, that's important. The gift that I think we should give these children who are adolescents is attentive listening. And that's not an easy gift to give. I, I listen and watch parents quite a bit. I'm a watcher of, of society and human behavior. And I watch parents say, okay, Surama uh, Kanka, okay, Pagiba uh, homework, or going to have your shower. So a lot of parental conversation with children is instructions, I've noticed. Uh, or there's something called uh, quality time, which means they spend a small time or very focused time with children. I, I don't believe in either of these. I believe we need quantity time, a lot of lepa. I like to rescue this word lepa, a lot of lepa time with our children where we just hang out with them and so if you want your adolescent your your 10 year old and your 15 year old your 12 year old to speak to you to share their heart then you got to be listener you got to spend time with them you got to keep your mouth closed and then you you give them attentive listening attentive listening means that we don't listen with tinted glasses we don't have a sort of a, a prejudge uh, opinion we don't respond too quickly even if they say something that uh, that worries us we spend time listening. Listening without judgment, listening without an answer is the right way to say it. And not enough of this given to children. It's a phenomenal gift that you can give to children. And of course, when you listen, don't just listen to their words, listen to their body language, but most importantly, listen to what they're not saying, which is their heart and their spirit. So I would say that the most powerful thing that we can do is to listen to our children. That's a bit additional, of course, that's my, that's my main job. I spend a lot of time listening to children uh, and it takes a lot of time. I, the longest I remain silent with a child while waiting for them to speak is 45 minutes. Neither wow. of us spoke for 45 minutes. Huh? This was wow. at home with my wife. My wife and I do a lot of home spiritual direction and, and support and counseling for people and people send their adolescents to us and adults of course turn up as well. And you just wait, 
you just wait and it takes a lot of courage and strength you know just to wait and start saying hey speak lah uh, what's on your mind lah tell me what's happening lah you know that's the kind of uh, things that guarantee to stop somebody from telling you anything meaningful yeah as all of us I think, I think as parents these days in this modern world i think we're all very guilty of that isn't it we give you quality time so okay this is 2 hours of my time so now you can talk to me about whatever you want to talk about you know whereas the rest of the time we actually do not listen to them properly they might be talking but we're not really digesting it but you know that's from my experience i think um i'm very guilty of that so you know <laughs> and that is one other thing we tend to respond negatively very quickly Correct. when they say something or like uh, maybe a, you know 11 year old say i like this girl very much you know i've been thinking about her and then you say you're too young you should consider your studies what are you talking about and then suddenly the whole conversation is dead you know and we right. have no opportunity to listen to their first uh, infatuation with someone and explore that and say instead of saying hey tell me more about her you know or would you like to invite her over for a cup of coffee or tea and, you know and and let's get to know her a bit better so we don't respond like that so as a, for for me i've always done that i've always asked children to tell me more even though sometimes the thing they tell me is frightening it makes my hair stand but i i want to know why they're thinking this way and why they're be responding in this way and okay. what's their motive and then maybe we can offer one or two words of of advice along the way. Okay. And Meg, I must I'm say, a, sorry, sorry. I must say children no. know what what is right and wrong most of the time already. Yes. No, I was, I was just going to ask Meg Meg is your son listening to this after this he's going to demand more time <laughs> with you. So you better clear your calendar and to spend time with your son. He uh, be telling me mommy that's why you never listen to me properly when I tell you something. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, uh, you know Amar you said that very uh very well just now. You said it uh what was it? It kind of poofed out of my brain. Um yeah, listening to them and although certain things that they say might frighten us like for you you're an expert. You deal with this every day. You know, you've been doing this for 35 years. But for a parent when a child says something that is kind of scary and you you automatically get very defensive you know you want to correct them you want to show them the right way and stuff like that so how do we how do we help our children by not being so defensive or not being so um judgmental when it comes to what they're telling us to listen with an open heart and an open mind mm, that's that's difficult huh Uh, maybe I take a step back again and talk about Kelvin Hobbs. I, I don't really read Kelvin Hobbs. I, I find oh, his uh, humor is phenomenal. I think it feeds us quite a bit. And I remember one particular Kelvin Hobbs cartoon where he came to his father and says, "Who trained you to be a parent?" You know, and then the father said, "Nobody." You know, and then you know, no wonder you've done a messed up job with me. Kind of. Oh, I, I think that that is the problem. Most of us as parents have almost no training. We follow the pattern of our father and our mother. You know, exactly. and that may not be the best. role models to have followed uh, i've had to unlearn a lot of the negativity of my parents i want to keep their positivity of course the good things they gave me but a lot of the negative uh, parenting uh, so again i've been trained by children I, i don't think medical school trains you for this at all and a lot of self help books can put the dustbin because they give you a 10 point plan which is meaningless you're dealing with an individual in front of you another okay. human being is so complex and diverse and you can't say i understand you from my childhood or stuff like that they're so different from us so i i believe that uh, as parents we are on a journey to change for children to change parents must change first and ongoingly of course and men parents bring their children to to me expecting that i would fix their children when actually i'm talking about how the parents should actually move forward change who they are 
So a lot of it is changing our home environment, making it more secure, making an environment which is an oasis of peace is what I like to use, the words I like to use. So a secure place where children can then voice their fears, their dreams, their, their darkness, their hopes, all there. Not an easy uh, thing to do. So it, it's a learning curve. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, don't worry about the mistakes. Learn from them and, and move forward. And Meg, I've lost the key question. We'd like to articulate it again. I'm old as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My question was, you know, how do we how do we not be so defensive or not be judgmental when it comes to to comments mm. or, or, you know, whatever they're telling us that might scare us? Because uh, I think as parents, we're also very guilty. Like, okay, I've been there, I've done that. Um, you know, it's wrong, and therefore, because I've made a mistake, I don't want you to make my yeah. mistake, kind yeah. of thing. You know. Yes, yes, I agree fully with you, Mac. We don't want to make mistakes, but how else do we learn? I yeah. sometimes when I give a talk, I start off by describing all my recent failures. Because I find that I learn enormously from my failures. I seldom ever bother to remember my successes. They're very, very transient. I smell the rose, give it to God and move on. Whereas my failures are the ones who actually I remember sometimes they haunt me. I have to work through them to see how I will not do that again. So if I failed a friend. Uh, then I learn very much about friendship and trust and the and issue of that. So we can't remove all those hard knocks from our children. We we sometimes need to stand by the side, you know, almost with our Watch hands that. in our mouth, frightened, you know, yes, that's right, uh, and, and, and be there for them. The biggest failure is not that our children make mistakes. The biggest failure is they grow up to be people that we don't like, yeah. that are not very pleasant individuals, you know. I, I think that's a bigger worry for me. So uh, maybe take a deep breath when the child says something that frightens you <laughs> and maybe have uh, one or two stock phrases that you can say, uh, uh, tell me a bit more about that or, or, or what made you think like that or respond like that. I'd like to hear a bit more about that. So something like that to give you by you sometimes so you won't say, why you did that? That's horrible. Don't ever do that again. So we won't have that kind of you know, rapid, quick response. We all, we, all, we all grew up with that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, but, I, I wanted to just... Uh, come back to a little bit about something you said earlier and maybe uh, and you have been an, an advocate uh, in terms of and you were speaking a lot about this lockdown you know in terms of how we do this lockdown now this morning i was just listening to something over breakfast and you know uh, the speaker was talking about you know different stages of lockdown you know in order to control a pandemic uh, and he was referring to to us to a six stage plan you know different stages and, and you have been an advocate uh, writing quite a bit um, when we started the lockdown, uh, this, this author says uh, that we imposed all six at the same time. You know, we went on a complete shutdown uh, in, in schools. And, and, and this is alluding to what you said. I mean, uh, and studies seem to show that, that the infection of COVID among children uh, it, is, I mean, it happens, but, you know, it's not as prevalent as among mm -hmm. adults. Yes. I'm, I'm, going to, I, I, I'm going to call out the elephant in the room. Uh, do you think it was a wise thing to shut down schools, you know, uh, looking at, you know, uh, what, what's, what's going through? And, and you know, we, we, it, people thought that, parents thought that when they were working from home, at least children could go to school and come back. Uh, there's all this misconception about, you know, how, how do you manage this? Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Just, kind of, yeah. I'm still in an undecided, not fully committed state because I, 
I believe you're in a learning <laughs> curve. And you to judge something that we did, you know, many months ago is, is difficult. We've learned quite a lot. Uh, if I, for example, share some data with you from that I'm just reading a few days ago, we just came out from the uh, UK education department. And it shows that yeah, children are less susceptible. And you know, children don't get infections very much outside. But when they come home, they seem to be more a spreader than adults. Okay. Adults. So what does that mean for us? If we let children go to school, they pick up the bug, would that mean more infections for grandpa, grandma, mother and father? So the, in fact, the, they showed in UK that teachers have 300 times the rate of COVID-19 infections than the average public. Obviously, implying that children are in school are spreading it to their teachers. So it's a difficult judgment. In fact, that will be the judgment going to be made the next couple of days. Uh, I think as we look forward to whether we'll have another severe MCO or whether a mild MCO. So I don't envy the people who are trying to make decisions. Many of us do believe we like to get back to schools. But I heard lots of stories from parents saying the SOP in school is a mess. Uh, you know, there's nothing much. In some schools, they're very strict. In some schools, they are not. So if you could become like Japan, where, you know, if you look at a Japanese school, their yeah. SOPs are phenomenal. You know? Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, brilliant. You could almost eat in the toilet. That kind <laughs> of quality of hygiene and level. In fact, they shouldn't come and cook their own meals and stuff like that. If we had that kind of discipline, I would say, yeah, let's keep schools open, you know. And children will all wear masks up to probably down to the age of about five. And we could do a lot of, of good with that. But right now, I think we're a mixed bag country. We've got some good and some mess, and I, I worry. But on the other hand, Father Clarence, I'm extremely worried about children trapped in abuse. I'm worried about those who need their school meals because yeah. they're, they're hungry. Uh, I'm worried about those who, who need their education because they come from very poor backgrounds, and this is the only lifeline to get somewhere and ditch, bring their family out of poverty. Uh, you know, uh, you know so I, I, in fact, I think one of the things we should get into place is of universal... A food program for every child in school as a means that COVID-19 should emphasize that that should come back and be one of our things. So, Father Clarence, I do not know the real answer. I think with strict SOPs, I would like to get back to school. Without strict SOPs, I'm a little bit cautious. Maybe start with the older children, the teens who need to, for exams. I think that's the right way to go. Can I just I think um, for schools, while there are some schools that you know, emphasize on really strict SOPs. Children are children at the end of the day. You know, they, they when they meet their friends, they're they are overexcited. You know, they right. want to touch each other. They want to be close to each mm -hmm. other. And it's really difficult for them. Because when I, you know, when that little window frame that the children went back to school and I saw my son go back to school, you know, kids were really excited to see each other. And there you have the teachers trying to tell them, hey, you know what? You have to be one meter apart. You have yeah. to have the mask on. Even having the mask on for like six hours in school, you know, it's actually quite um, difficult for a child to do that. Can you imagine, you know, sitting mm. down in the classroom, having their mask on, trying to concentrate on the teacher, and they're very fidgety as well. So I think, in a way, it's also very difficult for them. I, I believe that, Mac, one thing we should do is think of COVID bubbles. And I've suggested and written an SOP for school in our country, saying that maybe keep that class together. That class mixes with nobody. They yeah. go for a recess at their own time. They go for a PJ. They don't mix with other people. They walk along the path. They're dismissed at a different time. And yeah, I'm not, okay, that's 30, 40 people. I know that's a problem, but that is a safer thing than trying to let the whole school try and maintain the SOP and mix together. Right. That one, I think, is a failure. So I wish you know, my son could have a bubble too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. 
big balls that you can sit inside and go. You can roll around, kind of thing. Maybe each one. Should. <laughs> but, and while and while we're on bubbles, I think that's what family should do as well right now to develop some friendships for children. You know, have a few people who are close to you and create a COVID family bubble where the three or four families meet and the children can sit down together, do schoolwork, chit chat. You know, while the adults may actually go on and do their, uh, you know, their office work, other things. You know, that will give respite to everybody. You know, and yet the children can actually study together. There may be different forms or standards, but that doesn't really matter. Having somebody study beside you encourages you to study, and that is a bubble that you trust. People who are reliable with their with their COVID nineteen precautions, who don't take unnecessary risk. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, now, since you brought up COVID, though, um, I think we should answer a question that's on the sure. comment section about COVID. Um, this one comes from Anne Joseph. She says, "How do we handle the emotions that children go through when their mm -hmm. parents are under quarantine at home or hospitalized due to COVID?" I think this is a question we never, you know, this is something we never think about. But yeah, yeah. How, how do we handle them? Mm. A, a lot depends also on the nature of that parent. Are they older? Have they got chronic illnesses? Are they high risk from dying? Uh, you know, that is a, a major issue. I've noticed uh, internationally quite a number of instances or reports uh, where people have died without ever meeting their family. After admission, they've never met any of the family members and then died lonely there. So I think that's an additional issue as well. So there's going to be fears in the children when, they are, when their parents are admitted. Uh, what I do with children when they are fearful is I'm honest with them. I don't think we should ever lie to children. We should tell them the truth. So we should tell them, yeah, this is COVID-19 is serious. Uh, if mom and dad is young, uh, then I, I, I think we can be quite assuring. Yeah, most time this is quite mild and nothing much is going to happen. But if mom and dad have a serious illnesses or end up in ICU, then I think we should tell them, yeah, you know, this is very worrying and mom and dad may have a chance that they may not make it. In which case, I think we should really work with the health department to offer them uh, an online intermittent link, perhaps daily or twice a day, where they can see their parent, uh, perhaps in some form communicate, so that you know they have opportunity to be with them at, at this crucial time. Not easy, but whoever's with the children should not falsely reassure them. I don't, I, I, I dislike this thing that you know everybody, uh, people say, oh, don't worry, everything will be okay. I, I never say that children, I think that's not a healthy thing to say. I think we're all guilty about that. I think uh, it's time that we change that phrase, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, very often we just always say, you know, don't worry, everything will be okay. But the truth is, if things don't be okay, then how do you explain, especially to a child? Yeah. You know, they, they trusted you and you said everything mm. will be okay. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's the key, I think. It, all the questions we've been talking about children is issue of trust, isn't it? Yes. The more the, the trust that they have in us, the more they're going to open up to us, the more they're going to believe what we say, the more they're going to be responsive to us, the more they're going to turn to us in their time of need instead of turn to their friends. I find many children are, you know, what I call, you know, uh, selectively deaf. They can't hear their parents, but they can hear their peers because they trust their peers more than they trust their parents in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, either that or, you know, their parents could be like me and nagging all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, so we've got another question here by Christina Joseph. She said, at a recent family gathering, the adults sat down for a game of poker. We allowed our teenagers to join and taught them the game. Is this okay? A thought came to my mind. How are we introducing gambling? I guess it's family time, but what do you think as an expert? 
Uh, <laughs> I'm not an expert on gambling, but uh, you know, uh, I, I remember my Chinese New Year's when I went out cycling with friends. In those days, we cycle, and we always ended up playing with cards, and we would bet. Uh, I think our kacang, you know, or some food, you know, uh, and all we would bet something ridiculous like you got to drink this whole bottle of water if you lose. Um, I found it harmless fun. Never developed addiction with me. So I think if we play cards just for fun, that's fine. If we play cards for money. And people find that you know, yeah, they want more of that. I think that's an addiction. Uh, having said that, I believe all of us are addic addicts. We're addicted to something, and we yeah. need to look at that addiction and wean ourselves off that addiction and become more wholesome. So some people are addicted to work, but they think that's a good addiction. No, that's also a bad addiction, just as much as any other addiction. So introducing cast children, I think it's harmless if we do it for fun. I remember playing cards with my mum and enjoying it immensely and with my friends during Chinese New Year. So I have no you know, regrets about that. But not for money, I would say. Okay. So you can make them do chores instead. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. That's a good idea. <laughs> you can start reintroducing board games. I mean, I grew up with board games and you don't see many people. I mean, board games have moved on online now. I mean, you can play Monopoly online. You play Scrabble online. Uh, you play everything online with, you know, you interact, but you interact with someone with a gadget again. So things are really yeah. changed. Yeah, sometimes when children drop by the house and they have very painful things to talk about, we'll just take out a small zigzag puzzle and just let's just do this. And while we're doing the zigzag puzzle, some conversation happens. Yeah. And something very meaningful gets spoken. And then we can explore that, you know. So sometimes uh, games uh, which are physical, you know, are useful to enable conversation to happen. We don't do enough of those, yes. Yeah. But I'm not against a father having a PlayStation and he and his son playing and competing, you know, on a PlayStation. That also may bond. I'm not against electronical digital things as a means of bonding if used rightly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess, uh, you know, as long as you spend that quality time with your child, you know, yeah. why not, right? We've got a question by Aaron Paul. He says, um, how do we reflect on Jesus into our lives, especially during this whole lockdown period? Hmm. Aaron, right? Aaron, if you look at my background there, I've got this huge cross in the background. I'm not sure it's visible right now. I've tilted the, mic, the camera a bit. It's a four or five uh, you know, uh, feet cross that I made myself for my wow. wife and myself so that in our living room where many people meet us for spiritual direction and for to talk about their pain in their lives, they see the focus of who we are, that is Jesus and the cross, which is the meaning of all our life. I think that's one thing I cannot surrender the, the meaning of the cross and the impact of it, you know, the forgiveness that has come into my life. So I, I believe that, you know, many of us, we have a semblance of faith, but it hasn't gone deeper. I often yeah. use this word intimacy. Intimacy is not a word that's damaged so much as the other words. And we know what intimacy means. Imagine if you want to be intimate with your wife or your husband, and all you do is you spend a bit of quality time once a day with them, or you turn to them when you're in trouble. The rest of the time, you kind of ignore them. That's not a sign of intimacy, really. That's a sign of just using someone. And many of us in our relationship with Jesus, we tend to do that. We tend to, uh, you know, turn to God when we are in distress, or we tend to, tend to give God a small portion of our time. What I've done with my life, my wife and I, what we've done, we've taken a step back very early in our life when we were struggling, burnt out as doctors, you know, uh, losing our direction. We took a step back and we spent a lot of time in silence with God. Uh, as the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. 
we looked very hard at Jesus and we recognized that quite often he also ran away from everybody into a quiet place to be silent with the Father. So we spend a lot of time silent. So we tend to sleep early. We tend to wake up very early, about four plus, And then we tend to spend time in silence with God where we don't think, uh, you know, with our mind. We don't feel with our emotions. We listen with our spirit. And our, uh, our intention is to be attentive to God, to give God attentive listening and listen to what God is saying. And when we do that over time, slowly, we hear how much God loves us. And this permeates our entire being. And this, I think, uh, is something that then overflows into the rest of our lives. So I'd like to say that that's what we should do during this lockdown. We have the opportunity right now to turn off our devices, to just be silent with God. It's not an easy thing to do initially. It requires some amount of, uh, uh, you know, some amount of perseverance. I've described it briefly inside the, inside the notes that I've given. I talked about how you need to actually uh, be silent with God and the, the, the impact of it, I cannot, I cannot tell you how enormous the impact has been in my life. It enabled me to downsize my life. It's enabled me to stop chasing, you know, meaningless things. It's enabled me to see what true success is. You know, too many of us chase uh, false success. False success is not, false success is what? Money, power, uh, fame. That's meaningless. True success is what? Relationships. You know God deeply. You know yourself very well. And you know a few people as intimate soul spirit friends. So I like to say that COVID-19 inadvertently may give us a gift to take a step back and dwell in the presence of God, dwell in the embrace of Jesus, and there maybe discover ourselves as much as we discover God. That's lovely. That's so brilliantly said. Now, of course, if you just join us, we're talking about the impact of uh, the lockdown on our children. Now, um, I'm just going to take a step back you know, to the beginning of the show when we started talking about how the whole thing impacted our children. Now, let's talk about mental health for our children. How important is it, you know, for us as parents and as guardians to help maintain good mental health for our children? You know, um, how, when do we start? Is it too late if they're already in the teenage years? You know, so many questions. <laughs> so maybe, you know, Dr. Amar, you can actually help. Give us yeah, a and, and, and Mark, uh, Mark, could you leave us three views? I, I need to see the others right now when I'm talking <laughs> and, and, get, and get a refresh of the question. This is a very deep and complex and multiple question. First of all, I'd like to say that it's never too late. I'm 60 plus and I don't think it's too late for me to change many of the things that I still want to change in my life. Uh, second thing I would say is that we are seeing in tandem with the COVID pandemic, a mental health pandemic. We've always had mental health problems. Yeah. The, the best data to look at is a National Health Mobility Survey done by the Ministry of Health. And you'd be surprised to see a lot of Form 1 students have suicide ideation, as much as 10%, which frightens me. So we've got an underlying significant mental health problem now with COVID is exacerbated. And I believe if we don't deal with it concertedly as parents, as families, as societies, we're going to see a lot of long-term phobias in children and uh, uptick of suicide as a whole in, in, in children. Uh, and, you know, long-term children are going to be, what shall I say, um, uh, they're not going to live for the future, they're going to live for the moment. You know, because this time has been so bad, you know, why live for future when you know, another horrible future may come, so better live for the moment. So, so those two things. I think we're having a, a mental health pandemic and it's never too late to change. So the way to move forward is to become heartful. 
Now, the Buddhists have this lovely word called mindful, but it's not here that you're mindful. It's down here in your heart that you're mindful. So I prefer using the word heartful. We need to be heartful. We need to be present in the moment, present to ourselves, present to God, present to our children, present to the moment in a sense. And in that, in that moment, I think we can see more deeply uh, what is happening. Uh, our children also need to learn how to do this. What I was talking earlier about sitting in silence, I would recommend that we as a family do that. I, I've trained many families over the years in my workplace, whether they know Jesus or not, to sit down in silence together as a means of deeply listening to each other. Silence actually is the first language, actually. It's a deeper language than words. You can hear each other better. I had a 10-day silent retreat with uh, 12 friends, and I never got to know them so well, except that we did not talk and was in silence together. So I, I recommend that, you know, spend some time being together in silence, be heartful to each other, and be present to the small moments in our life, which are very, very moment, a, a small flower, a, you know, a, a simple thing that somebody said that was very meaningful to explore. So, so Meg, I, I think it's not an easy answer, but it's being appreciative of each other rather than just trying to make the journey rather than not doing the journey itself. You know what I'm saying? Trying to get to, the, to the, the end point rather than not living the moment. I think too many of us are too rushed. Mm. Back. At work, I always <laughs> have time. I used to work 12 hours a day, but I always got time. I found that my primary job is to be listening to everybody. So people came and interrupted me constantly, and I was delighted because I was there for them. Then they can go and do the rest of the work. You know, yeah. which is carrying all the children in the department. My job was to be the, the counselor, the listener, the person who can come and cry with, the safe person that you could talk with. And I think that's our role as family members. We need to be God with skin on, in a sense, to use an expression. Huh? We need to be God with skin on for people so that they can come, get a good hug, cry, know that things are safe, that, yeah, you can carry on despite having this failure. And we need to show them. So being filled with our own love is e enormous because you're going to be drained every day. Yeah. which is why every day I spend a lot of time being filled by God's love so that I got some love to give away. Yeah. So you're talking, I mean, just to, to Meg's question uh, yes. about mental health, you know, uh, we are at this, at this kind of a crossroad at this time. Or, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, other MCO. Uh, we're not sure, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of regulation. Mm -hmm. And earlier you said you, know, you can throw away all the self-help books, you know, the 10 points and all that, you know. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, you know, I mean, if we do go into a similar kind of like lockdown, uh, what are the three things that you will tell parents uh, to do for their children? You know, if we go into a kind of a strict lockdown, you know, the top three things to pay attention to, to help children through this, this process. Well, that's very tough. Uh... Father Clarence, three things. Yeah, I've got so many things. Again, I would suggest read the article on resilience where I've suggested 10 measures that we can take. Not a 10-point plan, but 10 changes in our life. Okay, so, that's one. That's one. Uh, read the article. No, 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 right. no. I, I, I don't think. I like, to, I like to keep the three. I, I think one of the things I like to say is maintain a discipline. Now, this word discipline is mal-aligned. We think of shouting or hitting somebody as discipline. But discipline actually, to me, is a framework, a, 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 a trellis. A, a way to blossom your life. So create a framework at home, you know, uh, uh, fix your sleeping times, uh, fix your screen time so they're limited, you know, fix your meal times, create a framework around which that you can blossom as a family. So these things are things that you keep. 
you know, so that uh, it's something that creates a routine from you. Routine develops and helps security. The second thing I would say is actually spend time, as I mentioned earlier, in silence as a family. Sit down and, and if you cannot and you're struggling because you're restless, then maybe close your eyes and just breathe. Concentrate on your breathing. Breathe God in and breathe out your fears and your insecurity and your restlessness. And the third thing is spend time together doing things which are not screen-based, you know. It could be cooking, it could be uh, a board game, as Father Clarence mentioned, it could be working in the gardens, going for a walk in the neighborhood. Even if there's a strict MCO, you could still sit in your garden and look at things, explore your garden and, and so on. So I think perhaps these three things as, as the top of my head. Yes. Yeah, just, I mean, yeah, I just think to create a kind of a routine, a discipline of mm -hmm. routine, I think it's a very thing. Uh, time with one another yes. uh, and, and do things together. And I think, yes. yeah. In the midst of all this we need yeah i think that's that's a nice takeaway uh mm -hmm. that look into and i i just recall that during the strict mco you know yeah I, I think one of the things i did was the routine i i still came into my office even though you know my room and my office is just about 25 steps away uh, <laughs> the, temp the temptation is to stay in the room you know i kind of got up at the same time uh did regular things in the morning and still came into office and i think that helped me a lot actually uh, that really helped, yeah. And I think it's something uh, that, that parents can take away, uh, things that they could do, that you will not find in a self-help book. This is Dr. Amar's personal experience. <laughs> no, and, and again, remember, each child is very different. What works for one child may not work for another child in the same family. We are different people. Uh, learn the language of our children. Learn the language of their loves. Learn how they receive love and how they give love. And we have to give love in the way they receive love, you know. So we have to do them for them in the way they need it, not the way we want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where we make the mistake first, isn't it? We yeah. always want to do the things our way because yeah. we're the parents, we're the guardians, yeah. not your way. So I think it's about time we slow down a little bit and yeah. just, you know, change our ways. Little by little, like you said, you know, it's never too late. So if you think it's too late, no, you're not. You yeah. can still help. Now, mm -hmm. Dr. Amma, I think you've mentioned many times throughout the whole show that children listen and they listen very well and they listen with their hearts. But I think for a lot of parents, you know, they think, no, my child doesn't listen. Whenever I tell him to do this, he doesn't do it, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, the truth is, I think when it comes to parents, we forget that whatever our we tell our child, they might not listen, but they're watching us. Mm -hmm. So how we respond to a certain thing is what, they're going to do in the future as well. You know, they're going to mirror us. So how do we make that change? How do we help ourselves so that we can help them? Because I think you brought this up too earlier. Yeah, I, I you know, students in a sense are wet cement in a sense. We're writing in their lives. Yeah. We're writing with our lives into their lives is what you're saying right now. And uh, I, I, I know I had a problem with my father. He, he was not the kindest of men when he had some alcohol. And then he become abusive. And then he would throw his temper. And I found that when I got married, I also started throwing my temper. And then I recognized, hey, I'm just like my father in the way I respond to my wife when I'm angry. And that's something I, I imbibed unconsciously without even thinking about it. I had to unlearn all of that, uh, you know. And so we don't recognize unconsciously how much we pick up from our parents and our siblings as well, for that matter. So have a good look at ourselves, perhaps. Maybe look at ourselves from our children's perspectives. Uh, if we don't want our children to shout, then maybe don't shout. 
you know, uh, if we want our children to listen, maybe we don't nag anymore. Maybe we speak softly or we speak less, you know, <laughs> and, and we listen as much. Uh, if we want them to admit they fail, maybe we should be prepared to admit that we fail as well. I'm sorry, I, I made that mistake. I was wrong. You were right. I don't think very many parents are prepared to say that to their children, but that's a very powerful thing to say to your children because then, then they learn that everybody can, can be failed. Uh, you know, so I think walk the talk is what we are saying here right now in our lives. Extremely difficult to do. Uh, I believe that if both husband and wife are together in this, then it makes a lot of uh, sense. They can support each other and, you know, they can actually help each other uh, move forward. But quite often one spouse is carrying the burden of the parenting and the other one actually has, has neglected it, which is, makes uh, it difficult. Ultimately, I want myself to change if I want children to change. I want Jesus to give me all the fruits of the Spirit. And that is something that I can then give my child. Having said that, not every child is going to change. Yeah. And they're going to be occasional children who, who I've told parents, you know, this is nothing that you've done bad. You know, this is just a particular personality who's warped from childhood and will have to look for help. And then I want to say, in that case, look for professional help. And Father Clarence, even your idea of a mental health, their children who are struggling severely, look for professional help, have a support system that where people can come in and, and give you the support you may need. Brilliant. Okay. So when you say support system, how can mm -hmm. we as a community help, you know, families with, mm -hmm. you know, families trying to weather through this storm? Because every family is different. And like yeah. you said, every child is different too some families may find it more difficult find, uh, some families might find it easier you know but how as a community can we come together and support them so there are different levels of support the, the one of the major levels of support my wife and i've been trying to do this last year is give away financially as much as we can and target the people who are struggling and so i think as a community let's think also about that don't wait for the government to do all of that we can target families who are struggling financially and, you know, work as a community to make sure that they don't have to worry for the next one year about finance. But on an emotional, uh, uh, you know, uh, need in terms of tantrums and struggling with our children, it's always good to have a, a group of parents that you can relate with. This may have to be online, could be a WhatsApp chat or could be a group that meets on Google Meet or something else. Uh, and, and there discuss how best Recognize that parents are also experts. All of us have our failures and those uh, educators, and we can share that uh, uh, in knowing how to support our children. Sometimes that doesn't really work, and what you need is one confidant, one other mother or father that you can actually pour out your heart with, and you know their job is a lot to listen to you, but also perhaps uh, clarify for you what you need to do uh, in the future. So I, th I think both the physical support as well as the time that we make for each other to listen uh, and not quickly too quickly give glib answers but listen and offer experiences from our own failures that's brilliant um okay we are about to end uh, the conversation mm -hmm. and the topic this morning i want to thank everyone who's actually posted lots of questions i think um one summarized question that i can take from every person on our comment section is about screen time so we're going to mm -hmm. go back to the screen time and ask you a final question from our comment section dr amar um Parents want to know, you know, uh, you know, parents actually spend a lot of time on their screens as well. Mm -hmm. And this kind of influences their children too, you know. So mm -hmm. 
you know, how do we help that? And do you have any tips? Because some parents don't even have the time to take away from their very busy schedule and yep. babysit their own children during that time, you know, and we don't have a, a choice. We give yeah. them our screens. So do you have any suggestions that we can? Um, yeah. Uh, not easy, and I fully said, uh, agree with you, Mac, that, that this is the crisis, not just in Malaysia, but much of the world. Uh, a couple of years ago, I spent some time in Sikkim with my wife, and the children had no screens at all, zero. Oh, the children are phenomenal. They talk to us, they laugh a lot, they played a lot. Oh, I wish our children could go for elective uh, <laughs> to, to that poor country and learn. So uh, there are times we need to use our screen as adults. There are times we yep. do not need to. We don't need to read all of COVID-19. Maybe one day we look at an update, that's it, okay? We don't need to look at every WhatsApp message or Telegram message or whatever. So we use our screens for our work. After that, perhaps cut it off. We don't need to watch every television program or Netflix movie or stuff like that. So maybe limit your screen time. Have a discipline for yourself about your screen time. So then the rest of the time you're free, okay, with your children. Huh? The second thing I'll suggest is try and create initiatives or Mechanisms where your children can do things which don't require you while you're working with your screen. So think of uh, activities that they could do. And again, I want to suggest one of these things that we can do is cooperate with other parents and create a COVID bubble. So then the children can be together and the parents could be doing their thing. They could be in the same house that's being used. You know, uh, all the parents and children are there together in the same house, but children could be doing a different activity. But in your own house, you could dream up things. You could get children to do some painting, uh, some writing for you, some, uh, you know, things that, that are meaningful and entertaining. And of course, you've got to pay attention when they finish to that, you know. Uh, most of us recommend that we work in spurts at home. You work for 20 minutes, 30 minutes for smaller children and then take a break, five minutes, 10 minutes with them and then go back. For older children, you can probably work for an hour and then maybe give them 20 minutes where you spend some time with them. So I think we have to learn how to re-engineer our lives in the one of the documents that i put there on resilience at the last page i've given guidelines for working at home some mm. suggestions from how to for parents to work at home but again having a support system with other parents i think is a brilliant idea and we have not leaned enough on this yeah. this means that we don't crisscross around town it's going to be somebody nearby okay we can't travel 20k and then network with a parent there and maybe time to redevelop friendships with neighborhood groups or with our church parish uh, in a local area. Yes. It's like going back in time where, you know, when we were growing up and everybody would come out from the same taman and play yes. together. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Father Clarence, do you have any more questions for Dr. Amar? No, Meg. Uh, I think it's, 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 a, you know, it's an eye-opener for a lot of us, even for myself, just listening to you this morning. You know, because we struggle too. I mean, in church, I mean, for example, you know, in our, our Sunday school, I mean, used to be and, uh, and everywhere children interact, even that we are not able to, and we do not know when we are able yes. to make people to change. Uh, so finding new new ways of, of helping children, I like the idea of creating a, a bubble, uh, you know, a, a family bubble, you know, with neighborhood bubble uh, that that can still help with, with children, children and, and I guess helps adults too. I mean, you yes. know, I sometimes like, you know, looking for somebody to have coffee with sometimes, you know, <laughs> So, I, I have I have created this this little Zoom group that we have have coffee with. Yeah, so you know, uh, sometimes it's quite nice to to you know to find new ways. And I think, and I think that's what you know we we all need to uh, to find new creative ways. Mm -hmm. um, and 
because I, my, my fear is that you know if we do go into another lockdown a lot of spirits will be dashed mm. uh, people mm. kind of like you know and but i think what we hope is that people will find new ways in this new year uh, and i think you have given us some nice suggestions uh, thank you very much amar uh, for the conversation this morning i enjoyed it very much meg and brother clarence Thank you. Uh, so you actually enlightened us a lot throughout this past hour and 18 minutes, you know, before we let you go, any last words or any last advice that you'd like to share with all our viewers this morning, um, you know, maybe just give us a head start as to how we can build resilience in our families, especially with all the talk about, you know, going into MCO 2.0, you know, how do we begin? Don't live on a pause button. Don't live waiting for COVID to finish. Transform now, change, grow. Use COVID as a, a sandpaper to you know, remove all the rubbish or the meaningless things that we had in our lives and clarify one of the most meaningful things which are relationships. And then secondly, don't allow COVID to describe us. We are the children of God. We are the beloved. I love this word. We are the well-loved, the much-loved of God. We are the beloved of God. And it's time now to grow into the reality of that, not in our mind, but in the reality, not by going to a physical church per se, but by experiencing the deep intimacy of God and knowing our belovedness. So I think these are the inadvertent gifts of COVID. I hate COVID, but I recognize that this can also be used to transform us. So don't, don't, don't wait. Uh, use this opportunity to move forward. You know, Don't despair. God is with us and will see us through this. Absolutely. Brilliantly said. Thank you so much, Amar, for joining us this morning. Mm -hmm. We truly appreciate everything that you've you've shared with us, you know, especially as parents. Well, there's so much we need to do and so much we need to work on as well. So we're going to wish you a pleasant weekend ahead. Thank you once again for joining us on Catholics at Home and uh, continue doing the great work that you do for all the children everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. So there you go. Dr. Dr. Amar Singh, HSS. He's been working with children for 35 years. That's a lot of years to be working on children. And, you know, he's actually given us pearls of wisdom that we can use as parents. And I think, Father Clarence, you've learned a lot too, isn't it, from him? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is, I, mean, I had a lot of questions. And, and this morning, I think this conversation has helped clarify. Uh, and, you know, when because when parents ask us, sometimes I, I feel very incomplete to be able to answer many of these questions uh, and i think yeah it's given us much food for thought too uh, as to what we can do you know it's like you said you know if we do go to mco 2.0 um, maybe this time we are more prepared uh we'll be a bit more resilient as to what we can do Definitely. All right. So we are at the end of the show. But just before we leave, we would like to remind you, don't forget to like and share this uh, video and also share it around so that more people can learn a little bit about, you know, the impacts of the whole lockdown on our children. And I think we've answered quite interesting questions throughout the show as well. So let's help each other in our community too. Also, I think, Father, we're, we would like to talk about your podcast that you're working on this year. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I'm also trying to reinvent ministry, uh, reframing my thoughts as to how to reach out to people. I mean, this is one, I mean, Catholics at Home has been one aspect, uh, you know, yeah, so I've kind of tried to just to to reinvent myself a little bit. Uh, started off with a little 
little podcast, an audio podcast of Sunday Sunday Gospel Reflections, uh, which is available on on Spotify. Uh, and and I, I mean, I've been writing for for about ten years. I mean, I called my blog uh, "Preaching and You Were Sleeping." I guess that's what most people do when when you're in church when you are when the priest is preaching. <laughs> Guilty as charged, Mac. Don't worry. Uh, so, so I, I called that preaching and you were sleeping. Uh, so it's an audio podcast. Uh, you can go to Spotify and, and look for it. Uh, it's also available on, on Google Podcasts. Uh, and I think it's coming up uh, also on Apple Podcasts soon. It's waiting for the approvals to come through. So I'm also trying to find things to do and, and trying to reach out to people um, and to, to keep that ministry going the, to the Word of God uh, to be able to reach out to people. So that's, yeah. So this is, this is my plan for the year. Is it already available or will it be available? Yes, it's, available on, it's already available on Spotify. I just started with the first for the first Sunday, last Sunday. Uh, so tomorrow you can look out for another one uh, on the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. So, so I, I'm, I'm trying to persevere and, and do this every Sunday uh, for people to listen and, and some thoughts for the week. I mean, what you can do for the week uh, just to help people. Yeah, so little things. To, you know, people have been nudging. Yeah, I, I, I'm thankful to many people who've actually pushed me in this direction, uh, and to keep this going. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm grateful to them too. That's brilliant! Congratulations, oh. <laughs> And 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 Mag, Mag, you also collaborate a little bit. Uh, people will begin to hear that too. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, yeah, do look out for do do go to Spotify and 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 check that out. And if you have suggestions on how I can improve it, I mean, I, I'm quite new to, to I mean, I, I'm quite used to, to blogging as in, as in writing things down, typing. If you have some suggestions that you could offer to help me, yeah, yeah, do let me know. Uh, you could send us a comment. All right. And speaking Thanks about suggestions, if you <laughs> sorry, Father, we lost you a little bit. So, th Thanks for giving me this little ad time. Ad time. <laughs> Now, also speaking about suggestions, we are welcoming your suggestions as to what topics we could, uh, we should speak about on Catholics at Home podcast as well. Just uh, send us a PM and we will consider your uh, your suggestions too. Also on Facebook, we've created a page. It's called Willing Hearts. Uh, we'd like you to join us on Willing Hearts where we support uh, the businesses in our community and I think uh, you know 2020 was a challenging year and a lot of people had to look for substitutes in terms of income you know so they've started cooking or they started selling other things so if you have done that as well please join us on Willing Hearts on Facebook go check it out and we're also looking for groups to join us on Jamming for Jesus okay so if you have a parish group that you'd like to be part of Jamming for Jesus on Fridays as well please you're more than welcome to join us. Just send us a PM and we'll get back to you, all right? So I think uh, we've covered everything that we've needed to announce on a little bulletin board. Father, anything else you'd like to add before we end the show? Yeah, as always, we end with a prayer and we are up to business and work that we do. And today, let's, let's, let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. God, our loving Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to have this conversation especially of the impact of the lockdown on children. Help us to be aware of their needs. Help us to have a listening heart, to be able to, to listen to them, to be able to feel them, and to be able to respond to them. Lord, bless us as we continue this struggle through this pandemic. Watch over us, bless us, 
and lead us so that all that we do may be for your greater glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Son and Holy Spirit. All right. So thank you so much for joining us on the Catholics at Home podcast. Um, first episode for 2021. We've got loads of great topics coming your way every Saturday morning. Of course, uh, don't forget to like, follow and share our social media pages so that you can get updates whenever we post them online as well. In the meantime, we're going to wish you a fantastic weekend ahead. Father, you have a great weekend too. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, Meg. See you soon. Bye. Have a good one, guys.